Welcome to this episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0 with Christine Kim and Ben Edgington. Join the conversation as the ETH 2.0 Dream Team discuss its live development, its potential impact on the crypto markets, and spotlight major Ethereum news events as they develop. Today's show is sponsored by Interpop and the Sun Exchange. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Welcome back to Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0. I'm Ben Edgington, lead product owner of the Teku client at Consensus. And I'm Christine Kim, research associate at Coindesk. Today on the show, we're talking about the first test network to simulate Ethereum's great merge to proof of stake. The highly experimental Steklo testnet went live last Friday, April 30th, and a lot of things went wrong. So we'll talk about what developers learned and preparations for the upcoming second test network. And we're also going to talk about the future of validator earnings, and there are going to be some surprising numbers coming at you, so stay tuned. But before we get into these two main topics for today, we're going to do a quick markets update, which we haven't done in a while, but the markets are definitely going crazy. Checking the Coindesk site now, ETH price is trending at $3,270. It's been hitting new all-time highs for the past two weeks, breaking past $3,000 for the first time ever this past weekend. So for the month of April, putting all of these numbers into context, Ether was up 43% in price, while BTC prices were down roughly 3%. And year to date, Ethereum returns are 328% up. So we're breaking into new price territory. And very recently, some analysts were saying that ETH price could reach up to $10,000 this year. Last Wednesday, April 30th, a market research firm known as Fundstrat said that, quote, the crypto narrative is shifting from Bitcoin to Ethereum and other segments like DeFi and Web 3.0 apps. So some bullish news in the headlines this past week. We've got the price all-time high. We've also got these analysts predicting very large gains for ETH price coming up this year. And speaking of this crypto narrative shifting, two more headlines, two more markets headlines to update you guys on. Apparently, the entire sector of DeFi, decentralized finance, has surpassed $100 billion, according to two different metrics. So the first metric is total market cap of DeFi tokens. The total market cap has exceeded $120 billion, according to CoinGecko. And the second metric, which is total value lock, meaning the value of assets people have actually deposited into these DeFi applications, that amount has surpassed $100 billion as well. Interestingly enough, while the majority of DeFi is built on Ethereum, close to around 30% of total value lock apparently comes from users on the Binance smart chain. So that kind of shows that not all of the value in DeFi is centralized on Ethereum. And the last markets headline that I just want to raise in this segment of our show, crypto exchange INX has recently closed their first security token offering registered by the US SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission. 
INX raised an estimated $85 million over the course of the past eight months, and the entire raise was done exclusively through the Ethereum blockchain. So you can see on like public blockchain explorers such as Etherscan, which addresses are the approved buyers of this INX token, how much of the INX token these addresses are holding. And in the words of Coindesk reporter Nate DiCamillo, quote, doing an IPO on chain gives the public and INX itself a novel vista on the process, which traditionally has been a backroom affair. So lots of really interesting headlines and headlines that are potentially game-changing in terms of Ether's value and also about development of how, you know, potentially IPOs, initial public offerings could be done in the future. Ben, any thoughts to add on this roundup of market news today? ETH at ETH. Incredible. I am uniquely unqualified to talk about prices, but there are some incredible numbers and it's very impressive. And I think that kind of the whole narrative sort of hangs together, doesn't it? The promise, the premise was that we would change the financial system, uh, that there was a new parallel financial system falling into place with, with the blockchain, in particular Ethereum technology. And here it is. The numbers in DeFi are amazing and only going to grow. And this INX thing is really interesting. I and mean, there's the other, the flip side of why we do this thing on a decentralized, permissionless, transparent ledger. It's completely different from traditional finance, right? We're, we're doing something new. Uh, yeah, this is just the beginning. So it's exciting. Uh, interesting one on the Binance. I hadn't realized that quite so much value had gone over there. And, you know, I'm kind of happy for them. People are making a buck and, you know, that's fine. But it is temporary, right? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Binance is, you know, they're running the, the motor at, in the red zone continually. They're pushing the chain. All they've done is they've taken the existing Ethereum chain and cloned it, but empty. And they are cranking the handle as fast as they can. Um, and they're already running into issues with the number of transactions that the, the chain is generating, with the ability to handle those amongst the nodes they've got. It won't be long until it collapses under its own weight. Ethereum, we kind of throttle the transaction throughput precisely to avoid that sort of catastrophe of the, uh, the chain becoming unmanageable. So the reason why we're not doing you know, hundreds of transactions per second on Ethereum is so we don't break the chain. Binance have been doing that and they're going to break the chain. So it's great as a temporary thing. Uh, I'm happy that people who don't really care about permissionless decentralized development are over there doing their thing. But, you know, the future is on the Ethereum platform, in my view, slightly biased. Meet Interpop, a super team redefining the future of NFTs and fandom. From comics and trading card games to digital collectibles and everything in between, they are building the architecture of an entirely new landscape of fandom using technology built on the Tezos blockchain to drive their vision. Visit hellointerpop.io to learn more. That's hellointerpop.io to learn more. With the Sun Exchange, you can easily earn Bitcoin while making a positive impact. Visit thesunexchange.com slash coindesk to buy solar cells and automatically lease them to power businesses, schools, and other organizations in sunny emerging markets. You'll earn Bitcoin for 20 years from the clean energy you generate while offsetting your carbon footprint. Get a free solar cell with your first purchase at thesunexchange.com slash coindesk. That's thesunexchange.com slash coindesk. 
speaking about the future of finance and speaking about these new developments in ways in which we can do initial public offerings, some of the strengths that decentralized blockchain smart contract platforms presents, I do want to talk a little bit about staking and this next topic of how users can start to earn an interest on their ETH. So Coindesk and of course, you too, Ben, with Metal Albert, we earn roughly what, eight to 9% on our ETH holdings. Uh, we've, you know, staked 32 ETH, which is worth, man, I don't even want to go into how much 32 <laughs> ETH is worth now compared to what it was in December, but we're earning an interest just by having our ETH staked on the blockchain. Ben, tell me about the future what does early interest on Ethereum look like after certain upgrades get <laughs> activated on the network? Yeah, so you're dead right that currently, if you're staking on the Beacon chain, your validator is earning uh, about 8% per year gross in Ethereum terms, in ETH terms. Uh, so Zelda with 32 ETH staked is earning about 2.5 ETH per year for doing that work, which is nice beer money. But there is a change coming. After the merge, so this is where we transition to proof of stake. So the existing Ethereum chain, we turn off proof of work and we move everything over to proof of stake onto the beacon chain. At that point, the validators, they become the new miners. The validators start processing Ethereum transactions and they get to keep the transaction fees for that in addition to the staking rewards. And, you know, that kind of sounds obvious, but when we first designed this whole system and the sort of assumption we were working on was that transaction fees were really small. A year or more ago, transaction fees were tiny on the network, but now they're huge. I mean, they're of the order of one ETH per block, uh, currently today about 0.8 Ether per block, which is a good fraction of the total mining rewards, about a third of the total mining rewards. How does this affect the return that validators can expect after we do the merge. It turns out to be kind of complicated to model because we've got a factor in EIP 1559, which is coming, that's going to burn some of the reward and uh, other changes. But as a finger in the air, some modeling has been done and it looks like around 25% per annum is the expected initial total annual return for stakers. So on your 32 Ether, you'll be earning about eight Ether per year on average. This That's is, more uh, than doubling the yeah. current expectations. Yeah, it's like three to four times. I mean, that's quite a conservative estimate. So it depends on how many validators come on board and exactly how much gets burnt in EIP 1559. But certainly rewards will be going up. And this doesn't even take into account minor extractable value, which is going to be a thing because you get the chance to order transactions, you can order them in such a way to give you an advantage and arbitrage certain trades and so forth. Speaking of EIP-1559, I was under the impression that the upgrade to radically change Ethereum's fee market, which would be activated before the merge happens, that actually burns all transaction fees and it only allows tips from users to be given transaction tips. So like an additional amount saying thank you to a certain validator or a certain miner who's including your transaction into a block. That's the only kind of reward that a validator slash miner would be able to receive. When you say transaction fees, you're talking about those tips, right? The transaction tips. There would still be the bulk of all transaction fees 
getting burned and removed from circulation from the total supply of ETH, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's a transaction fee by another name. You know, the user pays an amount and the, and the miner gets an amount. Probably, it's difficult to say, but let's assume half of all payments get burnt and half get retained by the miner. It might be a bit more, it might be a bit less, but that's kind of what we're looking at. So we should talk about timetables. So 1559 is due to go live on the network in mid-July, July 14 is the current target date. Hasn't been set in stone yet, but that's the loose agreement amongst the core devs. And then the merge will be prioritized after that. If the merge is looking slow, then they might slip in another little upgrade with some goodies in on the Ethereum network first. But if we are good to go with the merge, then that will be the, the only thing after the July London upgrade. And speaking about not having block rewards anymore, so miners, before the merge happens, they're going to get this transaction fee, the transaction tip, whatever you call it, basically users paying a miner slash validator to incentivize them to, hey, can you please process my transaction a bit faster than the others? You've got that fee, but you've also got these block rewards. I think on Ethereum right now, it's two ETH per block. The block reward dynamic and the transaction fee dynamic is what we have currently on the Ethereum network. It'll, you know, change a little bit with EIP-1559, but once we come to the merge, once we come to transitioning to proof of stake, presumably validators are going to get this transaction fee, which I had no idea about, but, you know, this is great to learning experience for me. <laughs> they get this transaction fee, but they also get their rewards for doing block to ask testations, for doing block proposals. Basically, the rewards that we've been earning thus far without any users on Ethereum 2.0. As we said originally right now, we're looking at about 8% APR, annual percentage return. So you've got the 8% and then you've also got these transaction fees. Comparing the two, block rewards versus APR, is the total amount of rewards going to validators actually going to be a lot less than the total amount uh, presumably paid out to miners for the security that they give to the Ethereum network? Yeah, so lots of moving parts uh, in this. You've got issuance and you've got transaction fees. So issuance is new ETH that's minted, and currently it's two ETH per block plus some kind of adjustment for something called uncles, which is, which is small. So effectively, every 15, 14, 15 seconds, two brand new Ether are minted, and that's inflation in the supply uh, of Ether. Um, now, in Ethereum 2, uh, there is a similar mechanism, which is a generating Ether to pay validators for doing the work of a testing and a small amount for producing blocks. But that's much lower. It's, it's a tiny fraction. I can't remember exactly the number, but it's like something around 10% of the issuance on the current Ethereum network. It's an order of magnitude smaller. That's one thing. The second thing is transaction fees. Those are recycled. So, you know, I pay, you receive, and uh, they're not new Ether, but, you know, they move from me to you as the user and, and the miner. Could be the major part of the validating staking rewards, uh, ultimately. And then thirdly, we've got this negative effect. This is the IP1559, which is burning ether and the expectation is that when transactions are done more eth will be burned by the transactions than is generated to give to miners so ethereum becomes deflationary over time the total supply of ether declines goes down you know trumps bitcoin i mean bitcoin has this fixed supply mean uh, you know 21 million thing 
As I understand with the amount of fees that gets burned on the network is directly correlated to how congested the network is, how many transactions are actually getting processed on the network on a block by block basis. When Ethereum reaches its sharding phase, its scalability phase, wouldn't that mean that the transaction load is a lot less and hence there'd be less transaction fees to be burned, less ETH to be taken out of circulation? Does this mean that Ethereum's monetary policy is actually unpredictable in that it will always be dependent on how many users are on the network? So we can't foresee you know, how busy Ethereum as a network will be in the next week, in the next month, in the next year. But depending on what it actually is, like how busy it is, that impacts its total supply. The supply could increase, it could be decreasing, it could be stable, but we'll just never know because EIP-1559 prevents any kind of a certainty around the issuance schedule of ETH supply. That's the one thing that worries me. One of the downsides that I had thought about when it comes to EIP-1559, it just introduces this element of unpredictability <laughs> to there's monetary supply. There's no like supply cap. There's no schedule of happenings that you'll, you could bank on and know is coming up. It's just depending on how many users there are. It's a fair point. And it depends how much you worry about fixed supply memes, that, how much you care about it. But I think the incentives are well correlated. I mean, the, the more Ethereum gets used, the more valuable it becomes because less is in circulation, which is a very interesting mechanism. One of the things I am starting to lose sleep about, given the recent Steklo test network and how that panned out, is whether or not we're really going to see Ethereum merge to proof of stake this year. I know the most ambitious estimates were by the end of this year and other people who are more conservative said, you know, early next year. But when I had heard from developers and were listening in on calls, talking about how they would launch the first multi-client test network comprised of, of many different computers and many different nodes around the world to actually have some kind of a working blockchain that activates all of the important elements of what you would need for Ethereum to be completely run on the beacon chain, completely run on proof of stake. When I had heard that Steklo would be going up this past Friday, I was, I was like, wow, we really could see Ethereum 2.0 and Ethereum, the merge happened within this year. Like I was really hopeful. But then on the day of when Steklo was supposed to launch, I saw all these messages on Discord. I saw all these like explanations uh, from developers being like, hey, is anyone getting the same issues that I am? I was seeing a lot of messages about forks being created on the network, certain clients completely running on different chains. Others were just completely out of sync. Certain users were unable to process blocks. It was a difficult one. And I, I do, granted, I mean, developers, when they were launching Steklo said, you know what, this is a very experimental thing. We're just here to try out what we've learned thus far. The test network was only up for a day. That was pre-planned. It wasn't supposed to be a test network that would be up and running for, you know, weeks at a time. I can't help but have had that hope that the test network was going to be this incredible success. And from there, you know, the merge would happen even faster than we had already tried. Were you disappointed at all, Ben, about how things went down on the Steklo testnet? 
But developers are very optimistic about the next one that they're going to be putting up, which is supposed to run for about a week's time, not just a day. I can't help but be a little bit concerned about the number of errors and the number of issues that Steklo had seen. You know what, this is the downside of Ethereum's sort of habit of doing everything in public, right? So you get a full transparent view of everything going on. And yeah, it can look a bit alarming, but this is just totally normal. This is normal development work, uh, warts and all, you get to see the dirty laundry, but it's actually, I'm pretty excited about how things have gone. Everyone knew it was going to be hard. So the name of this test note, this Steklo is Russian for glass, you know, is fragile, it was expected to break. And uh, yeah, it broke a bit. It's a hackathon project. But, you know, there are no sort of consensus tests, everyone's coming in cold and just kind of doing their best with the spec. I'd like to focus on what went well. I mean, there were two clients that kept in sync from the beginning, which, you know, given everything going on was incredible. I'm happy to report that Teku, which is my client, was was one of them. The others came back after some fixes and were able to sort of reach consensus towards the end of the exercise. And I think that's pretty much on target, given the circumstances, given the context and, and where we are. I see. I mean, what I'm hearing from you, Ben, is Christine, manage your expectations. <laughs> this was not <laughs> supposed to be anything different from a test network that was meant to be broken. And speaking of what did actually break the test network, I was hearing different commentary from developers about what they had learned through this. And one of them was that it wasn't so much about coming to consensus. So all of the clients and different computers agreeing on the data that should be propagated throughout the network. But there was an issue with latency. So basically communication between an ETH1 client and an Ethereum 2.0 client talking to one another, uh, not necessarily about, you know, how do we come to agreement? How do we come to terms with, you know, discrepancies in data, but just simply the time in which it took for an Ethereum 2 client to link up with an Ethereum 1 client and sync together to become one cohesive network. Was that a surprising complexity in your mind, Ben? And is that something that developers already know how to fix and how to resolve? Or is it something that you guys still have to kind of research and look into? Yeah, this won't be a showstopper. So this is the first time that we've combined Ethereum 1, Ethereum 2 clients in this way. And it's very much in the realm of the kind of thing we expected might be an issue. So no huge surprises. There's no theoretical reason why it won't work. It's just an engineering issue to you know, do the right things at the right times in, in the clients and work it through so everything happens happily. I live for this. This is like my job since I first started at Coindesk. It's showing to the world how the sausage gets made with Ethereum. Because mm. <laughs> it's not something that people <laughs> really quite pay much attention to. And I think every time there's headline news about what Ethereum developers are struggling with now, there is a tendency to kind of blow it out of proportion, but it is quite exciting and it's worth telling the world about. So apart from the technical side, I mean, doing the Steklo testnet with three Ethereum 1 client teams, what has the communication been like in terms of what happens on the discords, what happens on the Zoom channels? Yeah, it's all good. So we have a bi-weekly, fortnightly merge implementers call, which is not streamed, but the recordings are posted on YouTube. If you go to the Ethereum Foundation YouTube channel, you, you can find them and take a view yourself. They get pretty deep into the weeds. So uh, uh, if you're having trouble sleeping, might be a good one. But communication is great. I think one of the features of the design is that there's a very good separation of concerns. So 
we don't need to make really heavy modifications to either side, the consensus side or the execution side. And there isn't a lot of intermingling. So we can be relatively independent as ETH2 consensus clients and ETH1 execution clients. And the goal is that any consensus client, you know, Teku or Prism or Lighthouse or Nimbus can talk to any execution client, be it Catalyst, Basu or Nethermind or whatever. There's a nice separation and we can work pretty independently. We've got to agree on a few things about how we talk to each other and timings and stuff like that. But uh, it's really a clean design. So I'm optimistic it will work out very well. Within Consensus, we have both the ETH1 and the ETH2 client uh, sort of in-house, as it were, and, and we talk a lot. Yeah, I've, I've learned my lesson from tracking the Steklo test network. I'll definitely manage my expectations for the next one, the week-long test network that developers are working up to now. Ben, what will its name be? And also, <laughs> when can I expect it? Because I want to be ready, you know? I want to be ready to report the crap out of it <laughs> once it's live. <laughs> I don't know. And I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have a handle on exactly what the uh, the schedule is on that one. But follow along on the Discord channel. It's uh, open to all Ethereum Foundation research uh, Discord. And uh, you can find it uh, all over the place. And the Steklo channel there reports everything, warts and all. Gotcha. Yeah, we're recording Monday. So this, this episode will come out on the Thursday, just a couple of days after the hackathon in which this Rayonism project, in which the Steklo test network was created, is still ongoing. The hackathon is supposed to end in just a couple of weeks' time, around two weeks. So the goal is by the end of this hackathon to have a more long-running test network. I think the baby step in the middle would be that week-long test network. And then after that, the jumping off point will be a test network that can function for multiple weeks. It's really such a unique thing to be able to report and also share openly what the development process is like to create a public decentralized blockchain network that will host the world's biggest decentralized application platform <laughs> ever. Like it's a very difficult process, but this unique ability to be able to watch the development so openly, I agree with you, Ben, is very exciting. Yeah, and it's a kind of philosophical point for us. I mean, there's a sort of a maxim that the products you build represent the, the organization that builds them. So if you're organized very hierarchically, you will build very hierarchical products. And we're building, you know, the open, decentralized, permissionless uh, network for the planet. And so we do it in an open, decentralized, permissionless way. Uh, anyone can join in. You can see everything. It's transparent. And that's really important to us to be able to do that. So it can look like a mess, but, you know, order will emerge. <laughs> and uh, yeah, other people hide the mess. We, we're open about it. It happens everywhere. So uh, yeah, I'm fully bought into that. It's a good note to close off our show today, I think. Yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in to Mapping Out ETH 2.0. Christine and I will be back again next Thursday with more insights on proof of stake and Ethereum development. If you have any questions you'd like answered on this podcast, you can connect with each of us on Twitter. Our handles are in today's show notes. Give us a shout out. We'd love to hear from you. Also, do subscribe to our newsletters. Ben writes an update every other week on Ethereum 2.0 development. You can find it at eth2.news or you can follow him on Twitter and he'll let you know when the next one is out. 
You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter called Valid Points by going to coindesk.com. See you next week for mapping out ETH 2.0, Ethereum as it was meant to be. Goodbye. Bye. You have been listening to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, part of the Coindesk Podcast Network. This episode featured Christine, Kim, and Ben Edgington. Today's show is produced, edited, and announced by Michelle Mousseau, with music by Tide Electric. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service, and talk to us directly via email at podcasts at coindesk.com. We are witnessing the greatest paradigm shift in finance in modern history. Join thousands of newsmakers and influencers talking the future of money at Consensus by Coindesk. A live virtual experience of leaders, changemakers, virtual reality meetups, keynotes from Ray Dalio, Gary Vaynerchuk, and much more. Get an up-close look at the boom in crypto, the surge of institutional investment in Bitcoin, the NFT mania, the breakneck innovation in decentralized finance, and the coming disruption from central bank digital currencies. Coindesk Reports listeners can visit events.coindesk.com and use the promo code REPORTS to save $25. Join us May 24th through the 27th for Consensus by Coindesk. Register today at events.coindesk.com. We'll see you there.